would centre on the defining relationships of my political life with Tony Blair and Gordon Brown. As I wrote, I found myself recalling some of the despair I occasionally felt during the 1980s, the lurking, ever-present thought that our party might never form a government again, and the sheer hunger and drive this instilled in me to ensure that it did not happen. I found that same hunger in Tony and Gordon. It was not a hunger for office for its own sake, but for a modernised Labour Party that would build a more humane, tolerant and socially just country than the one we were living in during the 1980s and early 1990s. The three of us became like brothers. The force of our personalities and the desire for change that we shared with the team of political professionals that we built together, people like Philip Gould and Alistair Campbell, would help to take us back into government and keep us there for a longer period than any in Labour's history. We transformed our party's attitudes to the economy, to markets, to state ownership, to defence, to business, to the trade unions, to tax and spending, to public service reform, and to individual rights and responsibilities. In doing so, we defined new Labour and reconnected the party with the broad mainstream of modern Britain. In government, this modernising project helped create the fairer, more generous, more open-minded Britain that will be our legacy. All of our achievements were possible only because of the project to which Tony, Gordon and I dedicated our political lives, fundamental change to the Labour Party. Inevitably, with such a close-knit group of strong personalities, there were family feuds, tensions and differences of opinion sometimes of epic proportions, but more often than not the tensions between us were a source of strength for new Labour, and in the end we held together. If any of us had reason to split from the others and break up the team, it was me. My falling out with Gordon after John Smith's death, when Tony rather than Gordon became party leader, would lead to my exclusion from government for lengthy periods blighting my ministerial career. Yet I remained close to Tony, and I finally made up with Gordon. Whatever my other failings, I am a loyal person, and I rate loyalty above all other qualities. It would have been advantageous for me to desert Tony when he was battling for survival against Gordon's drive to accelerate his departure and succeed him as Prime Minister. And I would have been applauded by many in my party, if I had deserted Gordon when it was clear he could not win re-election. Perhaps it is a fault to cling too dogmatically to an idea or a policy, but not, in my view, to a person to whom you have made a commitment. The reason I did not waver in my support for Tony is that I believed in him, his political outlook and his skills as a leader. The more pressure he came under, the more steadfast I became overcoming my feelings that at times he had let me down. Tony was not perfect, notwithstanding the steel he showed towards me. He did not always enforce his will sufficiently with others to get the policy changes he wanted. But his personal conviction and sense of right and wrong were unflagging. The reasons I came back to Gordon in late 2008 rejoining the government even though I was enjoying my life and my fulfilling job as the EU's trade commissioner, were that he needed me 
it's always a nice feeling, and that I wanted to serve the country I love. I know that, later on, some people in the party felt that by bolstering Gordon's position and keeping him in place, I contributed to our electoral defeat. But I was never convinced so near the election that a change of leadership could have been easily, bloodlessly or quickly achieved. And I never gave up the hope that Gordon would be rewarded at the polls for his efforts in preventing a painful economic recession from turning into something far worse. One of the things for which I have attracted criticism from the media is my circle of friends. I admit that I am more interested in what people do and think than their ideologies, and I judge them by their personal qualities rather than by how they are perceived. There is no escaping the fact that people who are successful in politics, business...